it does with this text before us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 19 or 13 through 21, as we have in the, the bulletin, though we're not going to get all the way to verse 21, I'm confident. So what I want to do is try to catch you up with where we've been in this text. This is one sermon in three weeks. Peter is writing to suffering, scattered saints. And you need to understand, friends, that these people have come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, even though they have come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are bearing some incredible trials. And what I appreciate so much about the Apostle Peter is that he does not deny this. He doesn't ignore the reality of trials. He doesn't pretend like they don't exist. These these deep, difficult, despairing trials. But rather, what he does is he meets those trials head on with the truth. He meets those trials head on with the truth of the spiritual blessings that every believer possesses in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not some Pentecostal charismatic drivel. This is, this is absolute truth. This is not name it, claim it theology. This is what is rooted, what Peter does, is he explains that these spiritual blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ are rooted in, listen, generations of the prophetic message which has been delivered by the apostles as they preached the gospel. And he tells these people, I mean, just put yourself in this place. He tells these people that they have been chosen according to divine foreordination, that they have been set apart by the Spirit of God in order to obey Jesus Christ. He says, furthermore, that they have been born again by God's mercy into this living hope through Christ's resurrection so that they might receive an eternally secure inheritance that for which they are being preserved and that is being preserved for them. They are being preserved through faith for this future salvation, which is, by the way, fully granted right now. You don't have to wait to obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, because you enjoy that right now, which he says causes you in the midst of your grievous trials that he's not ignoring, he's absolutely facing them head on, in the midst of these grievous trials, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and that is full of glory. So what? That's the question that often comes up with many thinking people when it comes to the Christian faith. You're talking, Joe, about these spiritual blessings. So what? In other words, what difference does it make right now? What does this do for me right now? And I want to tell you what it does, church. These spiritual blessings that have been unfolded in the first 12 verses that we've been giving months now to our study in 1 Peter, these spiritual blessings provide for you right now, a right now hope. And this hope is not a wishful thinking. 
This hope is a confident expectation that, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again, and when he does return, he will bring with him that same unmerited favor, that same grace. And this is not some religious jargon. This is not pie in the sky, hocus pocus. You see, when you follow Christ, you will find there is an increasing likelihood that you will suffer more. Your life will get more difficult when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be grieved by various trials, but because of the spiritual blessings you have in Christ, those trials can never touch you. Your hope is founded in Christ eternally. And we learn when we began to cover this section a few weeks ago, that Peter is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls those who have come into such a gracious inheritance to live accordingly. In other words, when you have every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, he's telling us how you live as a result of that. And that life he characterizes in three ways. He says, number one, it is a hopeful life. A hopeful life. You are to live a hopeful life. You have this gracious inheritance and you are to live a hopeful life. We are to prepare our mind, to arm our minds, to think with a hopeful resolve in these days. And if we're to set our hope fully on the day when our Lord will appear in grace, that's the so what. Or at least part of the so what. When you realize, when you begin to realize the kind of salvation that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ, which has been the subject of so much prophetic inspiration, the the, the subject of angelic concentration, the subject of apostolic proclamation, you will understand that this will be the focus of Christ's revelation. That everything is going to come together when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He is coming again with grace and Peter says set your hope fully on that and this hope we would define hope as a a confident expectation that when Jesus comes he is coming again with grace so he tells us to live a hopeful life and that's where we began a couple of weeks ago as we've been trying to unpack this text and understand the kind of life that we're to live in light of this salvation, this grace, this gracious inheritance that, that awaits all the saints. We are to live a hopeful life. But secondly, he says, we're to live a holy life. And that's where we're going to begin this morning with the second point. And then thirdly, we'll find out we are to live an honorable life. And so verses Verse 13, he says we're to live a hopeful life. 14 through 16, we're to live a holy life. And then 17 through 19, we're to live an honorable life. Now, we've been talking about these great spiritual blessings that we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called, as we've seen, to live a hopeful life. One of the things that's really interesting to me in this text is that It's taken Peter 12 verses to get to an imperative. It's taken Peter 12 verses to get to a command. He's not been just, 
He's not been issuing all of these commands, but what has he done? He's just reiterating and rejoicing in the great spiritual blessings of every believer in in the Lord Jesus Christ. But now that he comes to verse 13, now having laid that as a foundation, now he gets to these commands. And the first command, to live a hopeful life. Live eagerly anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A life with a hope fully set on his gracious and glorious return but he also calls us to live a holy life. Let me read the text beginning in verse 13. Therefore, that, that therefore, that's what I just tried to explain to you. That therefore, on the basis of that, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. One, first command, live a hopeful life. If you're going to live a hopeful life, what does that mean? It means you've got to have your mind prepared. You've got to be thinking with sober-mindedness. All right? It's sort of like we could say that's the command and then there are these modifying participles that come in here. The way, here's the main verb. Be hopeful. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to come when the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ and you do that by preparing your mind for action by being sober-minded. Now next verb or next main command, live a holy life. We have all of these great spiritual blessings We have this fulfilled prophecy when it comes to the grace of our salvation. We have this eternally secure inheritance. We've been foreordained by God, set apart by the Spirit to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. So, live a holy life. Now, before we get into this, I just want to remind you that holiness is always a product of hope holiness is always a product of hope keep your finger there in first peter and just turn over if you will to first john chapter 3 first john chapter 3 and verse 3 i love the way peter structures his sentence there in first peter he says it such that he presents hope as the ground for all of these other commands. Holiness proceeds out of hope. And that's exactly what John tells us. In 1 John chapter 3. I'll start in verse 2. Beloved we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears. We shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Now look. And everyone who thus. What? Hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Hope is the ground for our holiness. Living life 
under the expectation of Christ's gracious return becomes the seedbed for holiness. All right? With that being said, I want to ask a couple of questions or point out a couple of things. One, I want to point out what the meaning of holiness is. What does holiness mean? I mean, I suppose if there is a word, I, I don't know of a word that, that's more misunderstood, more ridiculed, more disdained, more hated in the church today than the word holy. In our text, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, or uh, verses 14 through 16, we see the word holy used four times. So you have to understand that you're not going to understand this text if you don't understand what the word holy means. And I'll tell you what it means, all right? The word holy means different. It refers to that which is separate from sin. That which is separated from the defiled. Holy means different. It means other. It is, it is that which is separated from sin, separated from or other than that which is defiled. That's what holiness means. That's the meaning of holiness. So Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former lust, of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Be different. Be separated from that which is defiled. Be separated from that which is sin. Now I go from the meaning of holiness to the means for holiness or the means to holiness. My question is here, where does it come from? How do I get holy? This kind of holiness. I really want to know where I get this. And this is just really fascinating for me, and I hope that it will be for you. Look at the text. Do you see in verse 14 when he says, as obedient children? Could be translated this way. To the degree that you are children of obedience. In other words, it is a description of our nature from God's perspective. From God's perspective, He looks at us as children of obedience. That's a description of our nature from God's perspective. In other words, you became a child of God through obedience. Paul calls it in Romans 1, the obedience of faith. Peter refers to it in chapter 1, verse 1, as the obedience to Jesus Christ. He even speaks over in verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. As obedient children, or to the degree that you are children of obedience. Children of God. It's interesting in the text we just read in 1 John chapter 3. He ties together purity, hope, and he says, Beloved, we are God's children. And when are we God's children? Now. What does it mean to become a child of God? 
The Bible says, to whomever receives Christ, God gives the right to become a child of God. So I have a question. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? If you're a child of God, God would call you a child of obedience. By virtue of receiving Christ as evidence of faith, you become a child of God. In an instant, in an instant, there is no waiting. There is no probationary period. You go from being a child of hell to being a child of God instantly. And this is amazing. Now, unless you, unless you think too much about your receiving of Christ, I just want you to remind you what God tells us in John chapter 1, verse 13. Yeah, he says, to whoever receives Christ, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. But then he says, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what I'm telling you is, the means of holiness, the means to holiness... This way, holiness is a living out of your union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have become a child of obedience. Why? Because you become God's child by or through obedience to the truth. The gospel, submitting yourself to the gospel, yet in a way that is not merited by your work. It's exactly what Isaiah says in Isaiah 55. Come by without what? Money. God looks at the child of God as a child of obedience. And that is key to your holiness. Holiness comes as a result of Your union with Christ, or I'd like to put it this way, holiness comes as you live out the reality of your union with Christ. And that's exactly what Peter communicates when he says, do it this way. Here's the participle. The main verb is be holy. But how do you do that? Not conforming yourselves to the passions of your former ignorance. Holiness comes living out your union with Christ by what? By making a break with the passions of your former ignorance. Paul said in Titus 3, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's why I say, Holiness means to be different. It refers to a radical change from following your lusts, which were informed by what? They were informed by your ignorance. Incidentally, you know the word ignorance here is the word from which we get our word agnostic. It it, it means that uh, the former passions or former lusts were informed by living as if God does not exist. Living outside of the knowledge of God. And the command is, in light of these great spiritual blessings, or in light of this great anticipation that we have of Christ returning with grace, we are living a way that is separate from the way we used to live when we lived in willful ignorance of God. Holiness is a radical change from the former way of life. It's what Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. He said it this way. If you were a thief, be a what? A thief no longer. But work with your hands. 
What was your life characterized before you met Christ? Some of you, your life was characterized as, as religious, a religious hypocrite, a religious self-righteous hypocrite. Making a break with that religious self-righteousness would be holiness. Holiness is then the grace-empowered responsibility of the believer. It's not something that just happens to you, but it's something that you pursue. Like the hymn writer said, take time to be holy, right? Speak oft with thy Lord, abide in him always, and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children, help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessings to, what? Seek. This holiness, I said, is a grace-empowered responsibility to the believer. I like what Leonard Ravenhill said, the old evangelist. He said, the greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make that man holy, put him back into that unholy world, and keep him holy in it. The means of holiness is this living out daily application of our union with Christ, which we entered as we obeyed the gospel. But then we need to talk about the measure of holiness. What is it? How do you get it? What does it include? Back to 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Hey, look at this. In all your conduct. Holiness is a way of life. It's, it's not just something that happens occasionally. It's, it's not just something that happens in church on Sunday. It's not just something that happens in your half hour quiet time in the morning. Holiness takes over all of your life. And that's what the Puritans got right. About the Puritans, Jim Packer said uh, that the Puritans, for them, there was no disjunction between secular, sec, uh, sacred and secular. All creation, so far as they were concerned, was sacred. And all activities of whatever kind must be sanctified. That is, done to the glory of God. When you become a Christian, you pursue holiness, not just in the religious areas of your life, but listen, in every area of your life, it's different. You make a break with the passions of your old way when you used to live in willful ignorance of God, and you submit every, listen, every minute, can you imagine, every minute of your life, you submit to your union with Jesus Christ, your oneness with Jesus Christ. So that in a very real way, and I'm not trying to trivialize this, but in a very real way, you look like in the morning when you eat your, your Captain Crunch, you, gotta, you look like Jesus eating Captain Crunch. There's such a union with Christ and you're living out your life in such a way that you look like, you sound like, you live like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's holiness. 
And you don't do this to earn favor with God. You do this because therefore, verse 13, therefore, all those spiritual blessings, man, this great eternally secure inheritance I have with Christ, foreordained, set apart by the Spirit, obeying Jesus, you do it because of that. All of life for the glory of God. And then, let me give you, which leads us to the motivation for holiness. This is great. Motivation for holiness. As, verse 15, he, don't miss the personal pronouns here. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. There's just so much here, friends, that leads us to holiness. But I want you to see more than anything else. I want you to see that this is tied to a person. It's not tied to a set of principles. All right? Holiness is not tied to a set of principles. I went to Bible college. I went to Liberty and we had... In those days, we had the Liberty Way, and the Liberty Way told us how to have our hair cut and how to dress and do all those things. And as good as those things were and whatever, I'm not going to get in. Listen, that's not the standard. The standard is not a set of principles. The standard is a person, do you see? The standard is a person. It's not, it's not any principles. It's not a law. Holiness is dependent on a person. And he says this, as he, and then he describes it, as he who called you, and by the word, wait, that word to call means to, to identify, to give you, to assign you a name. As he who called you, as he who assigned you a name is holy, so you also be holy. Not only to his calling, but to his character. He gave you a name and he gave you a nature, and that's the motivation His holiness is the motivation for our holiness. Now, here's what happens usually when we start talking about holiness. Somebody, and this is where it gets misunderstood, somebody's going to get accused of being a a what? A legalist. Somebody's going to get accused of being a Pharisee, right? And if you don't get this, That's exactly either what you're going to do in accusing someone else or being able to be accused yourself. If you want to see a perfect picture of the holiness of God, we say we have to look to a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. We look to Jesus Christ as the motivation for our holiness God saved you, dear friends, to conform you to the image of His Son. And listen, holiness is a radical change from your life when you didn't know God to a life of conformity to the image of Christ. Holiness is a life of being more and more like Jesus Christ. Why? So that we can glory and gloat in self? No, we do that because He is holy. And I want to be just like Him. I said earlier, I don't want to trivialize this, and I'm not trying to trivialize this, but I just want to, I, maybe this will be helpful to you, if, if my imagination is helpful at all to anybody. I remember, and I told you this 
hundred times, a thousand times. So if you've heard it already, just let it go. I remember being a kid and occasionally our family would go to a, a fast food restaurant. Some of you remember Gino's in East York. And they were known for having the Gino Giant, which was basically a glorified Big Mac. And we'd go there, and I remember as a, I remember, I'm telling you, I remember this like it was yesterday. My dad sitting there eating a Big Mac, and there I'm little, I couldn't wait till the day came when I could have a Big Mac that was big, or, or that Gino Giant, it was called. Gino Giant was as big as my head. I couldn't wait for that day. But I'd watch my dad, and he'd be eating that Gino Giant, and whatever sauce was on that mayonnaise or thousand or whatever it was, it'd get right here in the corner of his mouth. And I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> I want to be just like that. And so I, I rem- I'm telling I remember this. I'd take my whatever it was, and I'd squeeze the ketchup out of it, and do this, wipe it on the corner, because I wanted to be like my, I looked at my dad, and I was like, that's so cool, I want to do exactly like he does, and I thought about that other day, because we have our grandsons with us for a little while, and Harvey was there, and he was looking, I was doing something, he's like, look at me, Pat, I'm doing just like you, and he's watching me, and trying to do exact, that's the motivation for holiness, we look to Jesus Christ, as he's revealed in the word, the spirit of God, right, reveals his glory to us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror dimly the glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. We see what is true about Jesus and we go, that's so cool. I want to do that. I want to try that. I want to be like that. I want to imitate that. Isn't that what Paul told the, uh, the Philippian believers? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? That's the motivation for holiness. We see that which is true about God in the face of Jesus Christ. Not in the face of law. But in the face of Jesus. We say, I want to be like that. Well, I don't know where I am in my notes, but We are to live a holy life. When we have these wonderful spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ, we're to live a holy life, a life separate from sin, a life that's made a radical change with the way we used to live when we didn't know God. We lived under willful ignorance of God. And now, instead of trying to be like everyone else, we got our eyes on Christ And we're seeking to be like Christ in all of his perfection and purity and holiness. And yeah, you know what? We don't get there all the time. Harvey looks at me and he tries to do things. He didn't do it just the way I do it, you know? You gotta have a special flair to do it like I do it, right? He doesn't do it, but but the effort is there. He's trying. And, And it's through that effort that God brings holiness, but it's not as if this is uh, a merit. It's that Isaiah 55, come by without money. I'm just giving myself over to him. Live a holy life. And then, lastly, he tells us in verse 17 to live an honorable life. 
If you call on him as father. Now just stop right there. If you call on him as father. Do you notice how these important and essential commands are always tied to relationship? Your hope based on the return of Christ who's bringing grace with him. Your holiness based on him being holy. And now this thing of honor. If you call him father. That's the secret to this honorable life. Or what, we, what I mean here is, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. There's the word fear. I'm giving that word honor because it, it sort of captures everything that's in there. We're talking about reverential awe here. We're talking about a reverence. J.I. Packer said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that is distinctively Christian is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. And we're called here, again, in light of this blessed salvation, we're called to live a hopeful life, we're called to live a holy life, and we're called to live an honorable life. He says we're to conduct ourselves with fear. That word is the word phobos, reverential awe. It's what the writer of Proverbs had in mind when he said in Proverbs 28, 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord. And then Here's the way, this, this gives a great picture of, of what I'm talking about, reverential awe. Proverbs says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Tells us exactly what fearing the Lord is by telling us what the opposite is. What is the opposite of fearing the Lord? Hardening your heart. You harden your heart. That's not the reverence. What he's calling us to be here is to live a life of just soft pliability in the presence of God. If you call God your father, you know that he is an impartial judge. And so the key to living An honorable life, a life that is pliably soft in the presence of God. The key is your relationship to God. If you call Him Father, if you call God your Father, you know something about Him. You're close to Him. You know that He's a good Father. You know that He is holy and righteous and uh, uh, just. And you know that He is impartial. You know that your God, your Father, is not going to just let things slip by. He's not just going to sweep it under the rug. You know God chastens. You know God disciplines. You know God does that for those whom He loves. And what a reason to be, reverent, to, to be in reverential awe, to live your life in reverential awe, because you, you're so closely related to God And you know, you can call him your father, you are rightly related to him, but you know he doesn't sweep sin under the rug. 
We know that our Father is holy to the core and that He is committed to bringing us into the image of His dear Son and He will chastise, He will discipline His own. In fact, if He doesn't chasten you, that's a severe warning that you might not be rightly related to Him. An honorable life comes out of a right relationship to God as Father. You're not just haphazardly talking about Him and talking to Him. There's this holy awe that comes over you when you think about your Father in heaven. But not only because of your relationship to God. The second thing that leads you into an honorable life is your ransom by God. And I just want to close here this morning. What, what I've been telling you, just so I can set this up for you, each of these sections has a verb, a, a main command. First section, hope. And then the way that you hope is modified by what I'll call these participles, by preparing your mind, by being sober-minded. Second, main focus is holy, be holy. And you do that by, participle again, not being conformed to your former way of life. And now he says... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile while you're down here, while you're away from Him. You're, you're, you're closely related to Him, but you're away from Him. And how do you do that? You do that, here's the participle, knowing. And notice how everything is connected to your mind, not your feelings. Knowing. What are you supposed to know? Know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Our fear is to be an informed fear. Our fear is to be an informed fear of God. In other words, we are living in reverential awe of God. There is a sense of awe and terror before the Lord. We live in His presence and under divine scrutiny moment by moment. And we're to keep in mind the extent to which He went to seek our ransom. That that word ransom means to be released. He, get this friends, He released you From the ways that you inherited from your forefathers, which were ways of futile ignorance. And he released you from that by sacrificing the blood of his own son. So I can say it this way. And Ben, just go back one slide. Just I don't want that to discuss to go back another one. I I don't want you to miss this. Live an honorable life because of your relationship to God and live an honorable life because of your ransom by God. Do you think that God will take your sin lightly when He paid such a high price to release you from it? Think of it that way. The next time you're being tempted, you find yourself, your flesh rising up to turn in some way or another Think, God Almighty, the Father, my Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, put forth His own Son 
who left heaven's glory and suffered greatly in order to shed his blood so that I can be released from that sin? No way. That's one of the reasons I have a hard time seeing seeing sin depicted on a movie screen before me or hearing it, me paying somebody to, to let them curse and cuss. Because God gave up His own Son to release me from that? That's an, the, the way to live an honorable life a life that honors God in all things, is to consider the extent to which He went to release you from the former way of life. That's what Peter wants you to think about. To know that you are ransomed, not with, I mean, just peanuts. He, he didn't just throw a few dimes at you. He gave up His own Son and so the way, remember we said what, a, what, a, what an honorable life is, is it's not being hard-hearted. Friends, some of us have been hard-hearted. It's to be pliable and soft before Him. And the way you do that is by living life knowing that you've been released from that former way of life by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Praise the Lord. Are you finding yourself drawn back into your old ways? The ways you knew, the ways uh, before you knew God? For some of you, that means drunkenness. For others, it's sexual lusts. For some, it's a disgusting, self-righteous, self-exaltation. You're finding yourself drawn to those ways. How do you make a break? How do you make a break? Well, let me just close with with some points of of application. Just to review this, this text. First of all, remember the therefore of verse 13. All of these commands are not commands for you to pull up, for you to cowboy up, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. All these commands grow out of the soil of the rich blessings, the spiritual blessings that are yours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, I would say don't forget the participles. The participles, again, are those modifying phrases to those main verbs. Don't forget. Hope. How do I hope? How do I set my mind fully on the hope that is to be brought when Christ comes with grace? Or set my hope fully. I have got to prepare my mind for action. I've got to be sober-minded. There's no downtime. Remember we talked about that? You've got to trim up your mind. Don't allow loose, flabby thinking. Second, main verb, holy. You do that by how? Not being conformed. Not living your life in conformity. That's not the standard. Your former life is not the standard. It's not the standard. Christ is. You're you're not on that. You're on Him. Your eyes are looking to Him. Last verb, honor. Fear 
the Lord, right? Conduct yourself with fear, and you do that how? By knowing. Knowing the extent to which God went to redeem you, to ransom you, to buy you back. That's the way that God calls us to live in light of all of these spiritual blessings. Let me just close by asking you, these these spiritual blessings we've been talking about, they're entered into simply by bringing yourself under the obedience of the gospel. The gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ lived a sinless life and He died a substitutionary death on your behalf to pay the penalty of your sin when He died on the cross and that He was buried and that He rose again just like the Scriptures said He would do, just like the Scriptures hundreds and thousands of years predicted before predicted that would happen. Jesus suffered, bled, died, rose again in order that you might become a child of God. And the Bible says if you receive Christ, if you put your faith, your hope in Christ alone, in a moment, in an instant, you become a child of God, a child of the King. Is there anyone here today who's never repented of their sin and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you've never done that, Would today be the day where you, again, recognizing that this is your responsibility, yet it is a grace-empowered responsibility, where you'll say, I just want to lay, I want to trust Christ. I want to repent of my sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that today, today's the day. For you, in your heart, between you and God, to express your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, and believe on Him. Maybe, maybe it's a wake-up call to some of you to say, man, I, I've been, I've been kind of living fat and happy in the Christian life. Not really thinking about, I mean, just these spiritual blessings, yeah, whatever, but I've not really been applying the, 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 the commands. Hopeful, holy, honorable. If that's you today, then as God has convicted you, by God's grace and for God's glory, through the Lord Jesus Christ, make a change today. Next week, we continue with this text and we'll, we'll pick up again in verse 18 and take it down to verse 21 and consider exactly what Jesus Christ did, who He was, and what He accomplished on behalf of believers. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word today and we ask that You might draw us close to Yourself, that we might know You and love You for the sake of Your glory, that you'll draw men and women to yourself who've never known you before, that you'll help us as Christians to be committed to you in a new way as we live our lives for you. This we pray in Jesus' name and together all God's people said, amen. Would you stand together? Our hearts and mind within His love.